It's that final week before the Christmas holiday. A lot of people are getting kind of lazy, kind of distracted, thinking on other things, thinking on places to go, people to see, gifts to buy, arrangements to make. This evening, my family and I are hosting a Christmas party over at the house for our discipleship groups. I'm uh, I'm not the biggest Christmas person there ever was, but increasingly as I have family that, uh, you know, kids, I like it more. I like seeing the kids' excitement and uh, trying to... It's really a strange thing because there's the message the world gives about Christmas and then there's the message the church gives about Christmas and the scandalous thing is that so often people can't really tell the difference, right? Um, but, you know, my kids and I, we talk about, and my wife, of course, we talk about the incarnation and what it means to uh, to have Christ come in the flesh and then for us to be saved in the flesh, to uh, be saved on this side of heaven and what that looks like. It's just a wonderful thing to watch my kids experience in many ways similar to what I experienced growing up, but in many ways quite different. And of course, I'm optimistic about them. The uh, The podcast you're listening to, of course, is the proclamation of the word from this last <clears throat> Sunday. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast last week, this is one of the few churches that doesn't really give in to the Christmas thing before Christmas actually comes. There, I wonder at it, you know, year after year that, you know, Christmas seems to begin earlier for the world every year. And it seems to mean less and less. I mean, if if I had to sum up what it means to the world, it's just general cheeriness around buying a bunch of stuff. But, um, you know, why is it that we just can't wait? Why is it that we we have to do it earlier and earlier and spread it out as long as possible? And I, I think it's um, people knowing that um, Christ saves and that the good news is good, but not knowing how to do it right. Just trying to, uh, <laughs> I don't know, should have thought of a good metaphor before I started this off. But um, to do things right means to do them in their proper time. You know, um, if I, if my kids are so excited to uh, open presents on Christmas Day that they set their alarms at 2 a.m. to wake up, then that means the rest of the day is just going to be miserable. And likewise, whenever we try and do Christmas too early, or try and kind of create a skim milk version of it, it really doesn't contain the power that it's supposed to. So I, I like, I like Advent. I like building up to Christ coming in the flesh, and then I don't know. It it feels like the people in previous civilizations who created these things probably knew what they were doing. It's just, it's weird, it's weird to watch our culture continue to try and handle things with, without much grace or dignity, and then see them fall apart in our hands and go, gee, I guess that wasn't worth much at all, and we don't realize the problem is with us, not with the inherited traditions. Anyway, the message you're going to hear doesn't have a big Christmas buildup. It does talk about, you know, prophecy about Christ coming and what that means. 
And of course, that has a lot to do with the incarnation. It's just not going to feel real Christmassy. Next week, of course, uh, it'll be a different story. Anyway, I'd invite you to do the Advent thing right with me and then have Christmas with your families, come to worship on Sunday. Do, uh, do it the way it's supposed to be done. Hope you enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. All right. People of God rejoice. Jesus Christ, the anointed one of God, is sent to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and release to the prisoners. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and give them a garland instead of ashes, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Under his rule, the ancient ruins will be built up, former devastations raised again, and ruined cities restored. He will repair the devastations of many generations. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. As our first reader comes forward to read from the pulpit, I would just prepare you Isaiah's from the Old Testament. You cannot understand the ministry of Christ Jesus, the fulfillment of the gospel, unless you understand the Old Testament. Modern preachers, even megachurch preachers like Andy Stanley, will say things like, we need to unhitch the New Testament from the Old. That is something directly from Satan that will lead no one anywhere good. We need to understand the Old Testament if we're to properly understand the New. Isaiah made many prophecies about Christ Jesus, about the future of the Jewish people, and about us. This reading is about all Three. So let's attend upon God's word together. Today's first reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 11, found on pages 1055 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old waste, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord, men shall call you the ministers of God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. 
For your shame, ye shall have double, and for confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess the double, everlasting joy shall be unto them. For I, the Lord, love judgment, I hate robbery for burnt offering, and I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, they that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to ask you a question I often ask you after readings. Was this an angry reading? Was this a sad reading? Was this a happy reading? What, what is the tenor of what we just encountered here? Happy. If this ain't happy, I don't know what is. So this is a, this is a psalm of blessing, uh, a prophecy of blessing. It begins at the very beginning, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You would think the prophet is talking about himself, Isaiah. Who's he actually talking about? Jesus. When Jesus appeared in the synagogue near the beginning of the gospel, near the beginning of his ministry, he took up the scroll of Isaiah, and this is the portion he read from. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Tidings is news. Good news to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Bind up means restore comfort. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. What is Zion? Jerusalem, the holy city of God. So whenever he's talking about Zion, it's talking about the heavenly city, Jerusalem. To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. So have the Jews, the historical people of Jerusalem, have they gone through a hard time historically? Absolutely. They're the most persecuted people that the world has ever known besides Christians. You know, what a wonderful competition to be in, right? They're a terribly persecuted people, whether or not they're living in their homeland or abroad. People hate the Jews, align against them, kill the Jews, take joy in killing the Jews, in God's name killing the Jews. Christians have done this at various times. Jesus, he, read, he reads this aloud in the synagogue, and then he rolls a scroll up and he says, Today this has been fulfilled in your reading. Meaning, he's saying, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that Isaiah was talking about here. And this prophecy is tied to future blessings for the state of Israel, not state of Israel, for the nation of Israel, for the people of Israel. And what it's directly tied to here is material blessings, spiritual blessings. Remember that whenever God made a covenant with Abraham, the promise was land and descendants, right? As he made a covenant with King David, the covenant was that one of his line would always sit on the throne. Well, Jesus is of his line and sits enthroned forever. Amen. And then as they renewed their covenant with God in front of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, uh, they, it was very clear that God would always be faithful in his covenant to them. The question is not 
Will he always be faithful? The question is, will we be faithful in return? The Jews struggled to be faithful, and so God allowed them to be beat up and taken from their land for a time. But then these pro- this is not the only place in the Old Testament. There are several Old Testament promises that God says, I will bring you back. I will restore you in your misfortune. Or as it says here, verse 4, they shall build the old wastes. Here, waste is talking about cities that have been destroyed. Has Jerusalem ever been destroyed? Has their temple ever been destroyed? Yeah, that's what the Wailing Wall, it's just the outer, it's not even the wall of the temple, it was the temple grounds. There was only one wall that was left standing. Remember, Jesus said the temple grounds, he made a prophecy, not one stone would be left standing on or another. That prophecy was fulfilled. The Titus, General Titus, under the Romans, he completely dismantled it. But the promise is that there would be a future day where the former wastes are rebuilt. And I don't know how many of you know this, but there are plans to rebuild a third temple, which would be nuts if it happened. It would be instant nuclear war. But we are living in such days, brothers and sisters. They shall rebuild the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. Um, There's other language in here. Uh, For your shame you shall have double. Now, it doesn't mean double shame. It means double reward for your shame. And for your confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in the land, they shall possess the double. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. He's talking about God's holy people that have gone through a time of persecution and suffering. God is promising them that through his Messiah, who would be sent, he, remember, he comes to bind up the brokenhearted and do all these things. Jesus was sent through him. The Jews would be blessed. And then what about the nations? Well, the nations, verse 6, talks about the Jews. It says, you shall be named priests of the Lord. And I've asked you this before. I've put this to you. This is one of these things that people continually forget. I don't know why. What does a priest do? He intercedes between God and men. That's what a priest does. He takes God and men that are estranged and works atonement. Well, he doesn't work atonement, but through the atoning sacrifice of a blood sacrifice, a priest is able to unite that which was separated. So the Jews are God's holy people, and their purpose is to reconcile God with humanity. This is how God works throughout the Bible. You have a loaf of bread that's no good. It needs to be thrown out, but God's not willing to throw it out. Rather, he takes some leaven, and he kneads it in to the dough until it's so spread out. This is one of the, if you don't get it, this is one of the metaphors Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman worked into dough until it had fully dispersed and it caused a whole loaf to rise this is what god does he took all of humanity which was fallen and mired in sin and then he adopted one people group from a wandering aramean named aram abram thank you and he adopted this one people group the jews and he says i'm going to make you a priestly nation and what he meant by that is through israel all the world is going to be saved that was god's plan in the old testament now the jews messed that up So God sent Jesus to fulfill that which we could not do alone. And through the work of Jesus, in Romans 11, it says all Israel will be saved, but also through Israel, all the world will be saved. Now, am I saying that it's better to be a Jew than a believer, than a Christian? Absolutely not. In in Galatians, Romans, Paul could not be more clear. The, The best covenant is the one we have through Christ. But even so, does just because we've got a great deal, does that mean previous deals are canceled? No. God is faithful. Repeat after me. Say, God is faithful. faithful. Now, what I mean when I say that is that God doesn't renege on his promises. What he has said he will do, 
he will do. And he will, he has and he will, make the Israelites a priestly nation. Now what about the Gentiles? It says, ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. He's talking to the Jews. So the prophecy is that on the last day, it's not just the Jews that will be saved. All the nations, if you didn't know this, uh, the Hebrew word nations, goyim, means strangers, non-Jews, Gentiles, the nations. That's all the same thing. All of us will come to God's holy mountain, which is where? Zion, Jerusalem. And we will worship God there. And the, the priestly nation of the Israelites will be there with us. We will be united as one people under the fatherhood of God, the brotherhood of men. So that's what we were confessing at the beginning of, of worship uh, today as we were confessing the common brotherhood of man under the fatherhood of God. We will be united in his holy kingdom. So this prophecy that we've just been reading is about Advent. It's about the second coming of Christ. Christ came to build this kingdom on earth. He sits enthroned above. One day we will hear trumpet sound and he will be here on earth and all the nations will flock to him. And we will be with him on his holy mountain, and we'll be serving. We will share our wealth with the Jews on his holy mountain. Now, a lot of people might look at this and go, oh, looks like we're servants. Well, we are. Who thinks work is a bad thing? Don't raise your hand. Does God work? Work is a good thing. Work is godly when we do it right. Like anything else, we can bungle it up, we can screw it up. Work is a good thing. Work makes us like God. I am so excited to work alongside my brothers and sisters in Christ forever in God's holy kingdom. Are you not excited with me? We get these new resurrection bodies, and then we get to use it to praise and glorify God through work and worship. It's going to be the best time. People look at this and go, oh, Gentiles have a bum deal. I wanted to relax for eternity. Humans, if you rest, you rust. We're made for working. We're made for worshiping. We're made for praising God eternally. Amen? And the promise here is that God will fulfill this commitment to make us his working, worshiping people. What a wonderful thing. I'm so excited. Say it again with me. God is faithful. God is faithful. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. And our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. The word of the Lord. Is this a happy one or a sad one or a mean one? It's happy. It's another happy one. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we already talked about this. This is talking about a future event in the past tense. This is not the only place where this happens in Scripture. The fortunes of Zion have in the past been restored. Jerusalem, after the Babylonian exile, the Jews did come and were able to restore, build the second temple, restore what became the Hasmonean dynasty. But even so, this is also talking about a future event when Zion will be restored. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. You ever have something that's so great, you're like, am I dreaming? Is this even real? It feels surreal. 
This is specifically talking to a people who've been abused and gone through a really hard time. Here's where it gets really personal. Have you ever gone through anything that is so wrong, so messed up, so painful that you think there's never going to be anything can make it right? We have this way of doing things where we imagine things can get so bad, so broken, so messed up that even God can't set it right. And that's one of the things that the evil one lies to us about. In the previous reading we had, it said the Lord loves, in the Hebrew, it's mishpat. It means justice. That means setting things right. That's what, the, that's what the ideal of justice is. It's taking things wrong and making them right. It's lifting up those who've been abused, and it's putting down the abusers. That's essentially what justice is. And here, what it's talking about is a future day where God does just that. And if you read Revelation, it talks about at the end of time, after heaven and earth have been burned away, there's new heaven and new earth, they're united together, and we're with God together on his holy mountain. It says there are trees with leaves for the healing of the nations. One of the things, you know, when we're talking about, in the Apostles' Creed we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, right? What that means is that we believe that God can undo the damage of the sin that we have done. Another word for this is a miracle. Can you undo the damage you've done? God can, though. And that's one of the reasons that we've come to him, because we can't fix the mess that we've made. Amen? We need to lean on him for that, not ourselves. And what this psalm is about is God being faithful and lifting up the brokenhearted, binding up the brokenhearted, fixing that which was made wrong. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue was shouts with joy. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. In our next reading, we're going to hear about the importance of thanksgiving, of rejoicing always. This is to be our way of life. Because even if we're suffering right now, we know there is a future day of salvation and God making all things right. And that day is made real right now, even if we're in the midst of suffering out there. Here and now is where God's kingdom is pouring in. And our task as Christians is to make that real right now so that even if we are in the midst of suffering, even if we have bodies that are suffering and falling apart, even if we have relationships that are sinful and nasty and agonizing that we can't escape, we trust that God is greater than those things so that we can even rejoice in, in the midst of them, if you can imagine such a thing. I'm going to stop talking on that for right now, but we're going to come back to it with a third reading. And I believe that's exactly where we're going from here. So I'd, I'd welcome our third reader to come forward and share this reading with us. Our third reading is from Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 5, verses 16 through 24, which you can find on page 1667 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brad. So, here the Advent part is, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why would he say that prayer? Because how Christ finds us matters. If he finds his servants sleeping on the job, beating the other servants, Jesus, this is language Jesus himself talks about. He says it's not going to work out well for those of us that he has commissioned with this task of being a holy and royal and priestly nation. It's not going to work out well if he finds us abusing the authority that he's given us. Rather, the prayer is that he would find us holy and blameless. Is this something that we are striving towards in our lives? I know I sound like a broken record about this, but gee, could it be that this is a really important thing? As we read through the scriptures, maybe the scriptures sound like a broken record. How many people go through the scriptures and they go, oh, not this holiness thing again? If you don't like holiness, why on earth do you think you would like heaven? There's so many people say they want to go to heaven, but they don't want to worship. They don't want holiness. They don't like reading the Bible. They don't like praying. They don't like being thankful, and yet they want heaven? That just doesn't make any sense at all. Heaven is the place that is marked by holiness. I mean, that's the way of life. It's, it directly corresponds with what we read in God's word. It directly, directly corresponds with the life of, of worship and prayer and thanksgiving, and that's why it starts this blessing, rejoice evermore. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then pray without ceasing, and then comes back to thanksgiving. And everything, give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. Christ Jesus, his will, is that you should live thankful, joyful, prayerful lives. And this is what purifies you. The world doesn't want you to live this way. The world wants you to live grumbling, ungrateful, unsatisfied lives. I know nobody here has ever liked that, but do you know anybody who's just got... A lot of complaints. Just never very happy. Always grumbling. That's not the way of Christ. Yeah, don't raise your hand. I don't want you to tattle on anybody. That was my daughter raised her hand. But the thing is, you know, the world conditions us to be this way. The world wants us always wanting more. That's not the way of Christ. When you have Christ, you have all things. When it, when, if you are in a dungeon and have nothing but Christ, you have infinitely more than someone who sits on a throne and has everything but. If you have Christ, you have all. If you don't have him, you have nothing. And so we rejoice throughout our days, even if we're suffering, even if we're in the midst of darkness and grossness. Even if, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's, sometimes I have days where I'm just surrounded by people that make me feel icky. I remember I used to go to annual conference and I just felt like I needed to come home and take a shower. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The thing is, if you are in Christ, this world cannot stain you. And that's why it says at the end of James chapter 1, true religion is this. To care for the widow and the orphan in their distress and to keep yourself unstained by the world. It's like water off a duck's back. That's what we're going for. We're trying to be stars shining in a dark world. We're trying to be salt, maintaining its saltiness in a bland world. And that's what the Holy Spirit makes possible. Can God perform it? 
Verse 24, the very last verse here says, Faithful is he that calleth you. We've talked about what faithful means. It means he doesn't give up on us. He never gives up on us. He never gives up on the, the covenants he's made with us. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. That means that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. If, if you have committed to him and you walk with him, he will never abandon you. Can anything separate us from the love of God? No. In all things, we are more than conquerors to the one who loved us. Amen. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. There is nothing that can deactivate his power in our lives. However, if you paid attention to verse 19, it had a very important thing that it told us. Quench not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can and will work amazing transformations in your life, but he don't do it if you don't cooperate. He doesn't. I cannot beat my wife into loving me, can I? Why do we imagine that the Holy Spirit would do it any different? We can't. God doesn't make us love him. That's, that's not what love looks like. You have to freely choose now, God has chosen us first, and he wakes us up. He makes us able to choose him back. But if we don't choose him back, why on earth do we think that he would work with us? So how do we choose him back? Well, by this life of rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in everything. There is a way of life that he's called us to. I've heard some pastors say, oh, God wants this for you if you would just let him have it. God doesn't want anything that he doesn't get. It's not that God wants it for you. It's God has designed it for you. Are you going to do it or not? You have a decision to make. And I, as a good pastor, I can't let you just kick the can week to week. Oh, you know, maybe we'll do it. Maybe we'll grow. I need to put it to you. Are you going to do what you should be doing, or are you going to keep wasting your life? Now, if you're not wasting your life and you're already doing what you're doing, you shouldn't have taken offense to that. But if you did take offense to that, good. That may, that's, I'm supposed to, you know, the task of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And if you're too comfortable, my job is to poke you and go get where you're supposed to go. And that's what Jesus does, right? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. One pulls, one hits. And depending on where you are, sometimes you need to get pulled closer. Sometimes you need to get hit over the head. Now, I'm never going to do that literally to you, but it is my job to take these scriptures and go, are you doing it? And if you're not doing it, I'm supposed to say, do it. Life is short. Do you know when Jesus is coming back? I don't. You don't either. So get it together now. I didn't mean to get that intense. But if you're not hearing that from my Advent preaching, I'm just doing a bad job preaching at you. The whole point of talking about these end days well, I'm actually, I'm going to do that. At the, I'm going to talk about this at our last scripture reading. The Rise Common Lectionary actually stipulates five readings today. On the third Sunday of Advent, it's traditionally appropriate to read Mary's song that she sings when she learns to be, that she's to be the mother of the Messiah. It's called the Magnificat. From the first word in Latin, my soul magnifies the Lord. I wasn't going to read it in a formal sense, but Sarah Beth and I uh, used to be able to faithfully worship by the Book of Common Prayer that has chant in it. And if you don't know it, the, the Anglicans have chanted parts of Scripture for hundreds of years at this point. And this is what the Magnificat sounds like. I'll just let you meditate. Um, I'm connecting this to verse 3. It talks about how angels and archangels may have gathered there where Jesus was born. 
cherubim and seraphim thronged the air. But his mother, Mary only, in her maiden bliss, worshipped the beloved with a kiss. Uh, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but it's nice, so we'll sing it. But here's, here's, here's what it does say in the Bible. Here's the song she sang. It didn't sound exactly like this, and she didn't sing in English, but this is how the Anglican tradition chants it. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath magnified me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him throughout all generations. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seat, and hath exalted the humble and meek. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He, remembering his mercy, hath opened his servant Israel, as he promised to our forefathers, Abraham and his seed forever. So you notice it ends by reinforcing the prophecies, the promises that God has made to Abraham and his seed forever, to the Jews. But also it talks about God's mishpat, his justice, right? He puts down the mighty from their seat. He exalts the humble and meek. He fills the hungry with good things. The rich he hath sent empty away. This directly corresponds with all the biblical themes about the coming of the Lord. This is something that marked Christ Jesus on his first coming and something that will seal all of eternity whenever he comes back. That's why it's appropriate to sing that on this day. Our final reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and then jumps ahead to verses 19 through 28. You can find this beginning on 1484, page 1484 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the word of God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, No, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then say they unto him, Who art thou, that we mayest give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as a prophet, as said the prophet Isaiah. Do you remember this from last week? This is how Mark begins. It quotes Isaiah with this prophecy. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Lift up the valleys, put down the mountains, make the crooked straight, the rough places plain. John says, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I prepare for the way of the Lord. 
So then he goes on, verse 24, And they which were sent were of the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latchet I am not worthy to unloose. This is the word of the Lord. We began in our scripture readings with Old Testament promises made to Israel and to the nations of God's justice, of making all things right in the world. And now we see at the very end here, John came to call in the wilderness. God is sending that guy. That guy was Jesus. That mission began 2,000 years ago. The good news has been spreading through the world, and God's will has been done. It's been a messy journey, but every journey has an end, and the end is coming. And as we've said, do you know when that end is? Nobody does. Jesus had a problem with people who missed the forest for the trees. You have, you, have you ever heard that saying? That means that you get so sucked into looking at each tree, you don't even realize you're in a forest. The Pharisees, he condemned, he said, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. That's how Jesus put it. Can you imagine so, something so ridiculous? They're so concerned about this little detail, and then they let something huge like a camel in. That's how a lot of Christians get around the end times. There are a lot of Christians who just go, this makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Anyone who believes that in, is, in that is crazy. I don't want to be one of those crazy Christians, you know? That means that you just discount like half of the Bible. It's not a good way to go. Then there are other people who are those crazy people. They don't even care what's in the rest of the Bible. They just want to talk about the end times. They want to watch the news and find where it corresponds to their Bible. That's not what Jesus brought us here to do. That's not why he gave us the Bible. These are not some codes where you have to read. It says it flat out. God desires holiness. We are not to know when the kingdom's going to come. It comes like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security and everything looks good, that's when it comes. You're not going to see it coming. The point of the Bible is not to give you eyes to see it coming. It's to prepare you so that whenever it comes, you are ready. That's the thing I need to end on. <coughs> As we read that First Thessalonians reading, what we're called to is not sin management. We're not called to be just a little bit better. We're not called to live a little bit more thankful. We're called to live rejoicing all times, praying all the time, rejoicing all the time, giving thanks, having glad and thankful hearts. We're called to be pursuing blamelessness and righteousness in all our ways because when Christ returns, that's what he expects, and he doesn't settle for anything less. So, I already jabbed you really hard earlier, but just remember the jab. The place where that ends is, don't focus too much on each individual tree, on each individual prophecy. God has fulfilled, will fulfill them all. God is faithful. Say it with me again. God is faithful. We don't have to worry about him doing his job. Worry about you and your job. Now, let's end on a hopeful note. Has Christ sent his spirit? Now, between the Holy Spirit... And your sin, which is more powerful? Holy Spirit. Hands down, 100% every time, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than anything that you can meet him with. In fact, God's grace is greater than our sin. Amen? And God is faithful. He has promised his spirit 
to all those who call upon the name of Christ Jesus. If you confess with your lips that Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We have nothing to worry about. Let's go forth and sin no more. Amen.